0: All right, well, let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I wrestled all week with what to do for today. Um, So many things that are so evident in my life and in our life as a church of what we're to be thankful for. I thought, you know, it would be good for us. We just celebrated Thanksgiving, so happy Thanksgiving week to everyone. We just celebrated Thanksgiving, so I thought, you know, it would be a good thing for us just to recalibrate and to concentrate our attention on being thankful. What does that really mean for us in the Christian life? And let me give you a hint. We just sang about it. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Because of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a faithful God. And we have so much to be grateful for. You know, uh, for the Christian, every week should be Thanksgiving week. We, We all have so much to be thankful for. I trust that you were able to get alone with God this week and to personally thank Him for all that He's done for you and for all that He's done for your family and for all that He's done for our church. When I was preparing this week, early in the week, I just stopped, hit the save button on my document in Microsoft Word, and I spent a whole lot of time. Thanking the Lord for so many things. I I went back through my life. I thanked the Lord for first loving me and saving me, and then I thanked him for all of those who have so profoundly impacted my life. I mean, there's a myriad of people that have invested in me and loved me and helped to bring me along and disciple me in the Christian life. I thank the Lord for as many of them as I could remember. I thank the Lord for my wife, who is such a treasure. I thank the Lord for my children, for my grandchildren. And by the way, we have a new grandchild that was just born on Friday, little Molly Ann Burkholder, and so uh, we're so grateful for her new new little life. And then I spent quite a bit of time thanking the Lord for you all as well. I finally circled back to the many evidences of his hand of blessing on our lives, and I thanked him for all of those things as well. We have so much to be grateful for, so many things to be thankful for. And while I am so thankful for so many things, we live in a sobering world, right? I'm equally concerned about the direction of our country. I'm equally concerned about the direction of so many churches today. It seems like folks have forgotten who deserves our thanks and who deserves our gratitude. Many of us have been Christians for a very, very long time we've experienced the peaks and the valleys of the Christian life. We've watched God work in our life and the lives of so many others over the years, and yet we've failed him. We have failed him more times than we want to admit. But by God's grace, we are still on the horse, still desiring to walk with God. One of my greatest concerns with the church at large is this ongoing struggle with discernment. It seems like every two or three years, some author writes a Christian book that really exposes the lack of discernment in the modern day church. Books like The Purpose Driven Life or The Prayer of Jabez or The Da Vinci Code or Jesus Calling. I could list a whole bunch of other books. It's actually amazing to me. It's actually amazing. Rather than just being satisfied and thankful with the clear, plain teaching of the Word of God, folks who should know better seem to be always craving something more, something new. Of course, this isn't a new phenomenon. Since the beginning of the church, there have been those who associate themselves with Christianity that actually seem to work to minimize the Word of God, rather than elevating it to the place where it belongs as the sole source book for our life and living. And so as we ponder today, as we ponder together why we are to be thankful, I want to begin by just listening to what the Bible says about itself. And then, after we hear from God Himself about what He's revealed to us, I want to ask a couple of questions. And so just listen, if you would. Listen to what God says about His Word Psalm 19, verses 7-9 through 9 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, and they are righteous altogether. Psalm 119 and verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, But he, meaning Jesus, answered, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Matthew 24 and verse 35 says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Romans 15 and verse 4 says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And then the capstone, 2 Peter chapter 1, and verse 3, says, For his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence and we could obviously keep going but after what god's word says about itself and its adequacy and its sufficiency why are there so many christians who are looking for something more something else Why can't we be satisfied and thankful with what God has provided in His Word and just live accordingly? A very specific example of our lack of being satisfied and thankful with what God has provided in His Word is in the realm of what some would call the the personal will of God. So many well-intentioned people seem to be tortured with the prospect that they'll somehow miss God's personal will for their life. What if we go to the wrong college? What if we marry the wrong person? What if we we take the wrong job or we live in the wrong house or we drive the wrong car? Some 13 plus years ago, right after our family moved out to Pennsylvania, I preached a sermon that I entitled Hoops Theology. Some of you may have remembered that sermon. I can't find it anywhere. It's probably on one of my computers that died years ago, but I remember what it was about. It was a sermon about my attempts as a youth at trying to find God's will for my life. As a young man, after I came to faith in Christ, like so many other Christians, I wanted to honor the Lord with my life, but I had no idea how to do that because I was looking for God's will in all the wrong places. And this is a bit embarrassing for me to admit But I spent hours and hours and hours shooting hoops in my backyard trying to figure out God's will for my life. I would say to God, if I make this shot, if I make this shot, then you must want me to ask Susie out on a date. (laughs) If I make this shot, then it's confirmation that you must be telling me that you want me not to work through high school, but concentrate on my sports. You get the idea, we could go down a long litany of things that I, I tried to figure out what God wanted me to do by shooting hoops in my backyard. But you know, I was a pretty good shooter. So I could almost manipulate the outcome of what God wanted me to do. Because after all, Susie was pretty good looking. So I wanted to ask her out on a date. I just wanted to I want God's affirmation. And so I would shoot a short shot on that one i can make those well then as i said this is quite embarrassing but i grew in my faith i grew in my understanding of the sufficiency of scripture and so i stopped with all that and i realized that god doesn't want me looking for a needle in the haystack but to rest in the comfort of the one who created the hay he's faithfully given his people biblical principles in his word to live by and he's entrusted us To authentically live them out. You see, God's will is never subjective like that. It's always objective. Where did the church, where did we ever get the idea that we had to somehow figure out God's will for our lives? Is that really how God works? Does God play games with his people, like hide and seek, trying to give us hints? as to what he wants us to do but not really telling us we have to read the tea leaves we have to kind of figure it out when the grandkids are over at our house the kids will often play hide and seek and our grandson Jackson just can't sit still and so he's always giving out hints as to where he's hiding sometimes he'll say I'm over here I'm over here (laughs) and I ask myself the question is that how God works He veils His will for us and He gives us hints as to what it is. And if that is true, if that is really how we're supposed to live the Christian life by reading the tea leaves, trying to figure out what it is that God wants us to do, that's torturous. That is surely not God's design. That is almost paralyzing, right? Because 1 Corinthians 10.31 says that, we're to do everything to his glory correct so that means that just about everything is on the same plane whether you're eating or drinking or whatever you do do all to the glory of God so all these things are important to God we're to give God glory in all these things are we supposed to try to listen to hear the voice of God as it relates to if we're going to eat Cheerios that morning or Captain Crunch or any other thing which way we're going to drive to church you see if everything is important to God and we're to do everything that's to be done to the glory of God, then nothing is insignificant. Can you imagine how paralyzing it would be if we have to have a strong feeling about something before we do it? Is that how God works? Does God just give us a fee- What happens if it doesn't work out? Well, we had a strong feeling about it. God must have been telling us to do this. Is that how He works? Is that how He works? If that's how He works, why would, we, why would He even give us the static completed revelation of God because he's still talking he's still giving us revelation and if he is that revelation would supersede what was already written is that how God works and I would contend that the answer to that question is no that's not how he works I would contend that God wants us to 100% know his will and we can know god's will because he's revealed it to us in his word and in his design this is his design in his design he has given us decision making responsibilities to choose within his revealed moral will for example and this is not to be dismissed there are other examples but this is a good one 1 corinthians 7:39 And we would say, well, Pastor Dave, you're overdoing it. You're overstating it. No, certainly we shouldn't try to find what God's will is for breakfast. Okay. Okay, well, what about the bigger things then? What about who we're supposed to marry? Would that be big enough to rise to the level of we got to hear from God on this? We must hear His voice. We must get a feeling or a hunch or something, some affirmation from God. Is that how He works? Apparently Not. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 39, a wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. You see, God has given us His Word. He's given us the truths in His Word, and then He allows us to live them out. He allows us to make decisions in this life. We could be equally in God's will if we're working in this job or we're working in that job. We could be equally in God's will if we're driving the red car or we're driving the blue car because God doesn't tell us which car we're to to drive or which car that we are to own. John MacArthur said it this way, and I think this is helpful. The will of God is not primarily a place the will of God is not first of all for you to go there or work here. The will of God concerns you as a person. If you are the right you, then you can follow your desires and you will fulfill his will. And I think that's right. In other words, we don't have to wonder what God's will is for our lives. He has told us. He has given us everything we need to know about how we're to live for him which means he isn't planning to give us anything more than what's already revealed. So let's talk about what God's will is for our lives. In the New Testament, we find a number of specific instances that the Lord reminds us what his will is for our lives. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. You want to know what God's will is for your life. He doesn't want you to have sex outside of marriage. He wants you to abstain from sexual immorality. If you want to be set apart and growing in your sanctification, you're not going to engage in these kinds of things outside of the marriage context. That's his will. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. 1 Peter 2.15 says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. He means to to do right in the sight of God. That's His will, that we are to do what He wants us to do in His sight. And then we come to this passage. Here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we find more about what he says is his will for our lives. And so let's, let's begin here in verse 16. And by the way, verse 16 through 18 is what's referred to as a pericope. So it's a, it's a, it's a completed thought, okay? It, it, in Scripture, it's a completed thought. So we'll see verse 16, 17, and 18 all tie together here, intentionally so. Verse 16, rejoice always... Verse 17, pray without ceasing. Verse 18, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So all three of these things, verse 16, verse 17, verse 18, these are all God's will for our life. We're to rejoice always, we're to pray without ceasing, and in everything we're to give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Jesus, And it's verse 18 that I want to concentrate with you on this morning. It says, Give thanks in everything, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so centering our attention specifically here on verse 18, we find that it's God's will for our life to be thankful in everything. So I'd like to give you five outcomes that are born out of a thankful heart. I, I hope this will be helpful for us. Five outcomes that are born out of a thankful heart. And the first is that a thankful heart produces humility. A thankful heart produces humility, or, or maybe even better, humility produces a thankful heart. James 4, 6 says, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You see, being thankful takes the focus off of ourselves and puts it onto another, right? So pride and selfishness go hand in hand, but God stands opposed to the proud, but He instead gives a greater grace to the humble. Those who don't think more highly of themselves than they ought, those who put others before themselves. A thankful heart produces humility. So I want to think about that with you just a little bit this morning as we consider the idea that God is opposed to pride. He's opposed to arrogance. He's opposed to us thinking that we're all that. When really... The heart of the Christian is no that we're not all that. It's just the opposite. It's just the opposite. We are all sinners deserving of eternal damnation. We're all sinners deserving of a real place of torment and and punishment called hell. But God loved us and He sent Christ to come and to do what we could never do for ourselves. He came to take the punishment that we deserved upon himself the wrath of God literally was poured out on Jesus on the cross of Calvary to pay for the sins when Jesus died it paid for the sins of all who would believe on him if that doesn't produce and keep a heart of humility in us I think we forget sometimes we're not all that God is all that God has done all of this for us and so he is, a pro, he is opposed to those who think that they did all this for themselves. He wants us to be humble. Second, a thankful heart produces joy. Uh, there at the beginning of our section, this pericope, First Thessalonians 5.16 says that we are to rejoice always, rejoice always. And, and, and joy is not synonymous. Biblical joy is not synonymous with being happy. Do you ever get sad? Do you ever grieve? Do you ever have deep feelings about something? Joy, biblical joy, is not about being happy. Joy is a settled confidence. Confidence that God is in control of all things. And that's why James could say in James 1, uh, verses 2-4, through 4, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Why? Because if life was always primarily easy, and comfortable, we would be devastated, (laughs) absolutely devastated when we had to navigate rougher seas. You see, we are sharpened and refined during times of testing. A thankful heart produces joy. I think all of us, if we had time for testimonies this morning, I think all of us could probably share about big disappointments in our life. Things that happened that didn't turn out the way we absolutely thought they would turn out. I didn't think I'd lose my mom in my early 20s. Didn't think that I would lose my dad so suddenly to cancer. There are all kinds of things that come into our lives. Why do you think God allows those things to happen in our lives? Because we need endurance. The Christian life is not a bowl of cherries. It's not intended to be this, you know, this, this fun and happy thing. Oh, there are joys, there are there are peaks in the Christian life, but they're valleys. They're valleys. And that's why joy is not synonymous with being happy. Joy is this subtle confidence that God is in control of all things. We are sharpened. We're refined during times of testing. Remember, joy is is a fruit of the Spirit, right? In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, one of the ways that we know that we're filled with the Spirit is that we're joyful. When our sights are set on God and not on ourselves and our wants and our desires. I watched God work through the death of my mom, I watched God work through the death of my dad. My brother came to faith in Christ while my dad was within his last 24 hours on this earth. As he laid in his bed and he was pretty much incoherent, couldn't speak, he'd withered away to nothing, he lost about 80, 90 pounds. We were going in and out of the room and just loving on him and hugging him and telling him how much we love him. At the same time, my, my brother is at the end of himself He says, i got to talk to you, Dave. I said, what is it? He said, I'm I'm lost. I'm not a Christian. I don't know Christ as my Savior. I, I grew up in the church. I know all the right answers, but I've never trusted in Christ. I need your help. The long hallway at the hospital at the end was a radiator. We sat on the radiator for two hours. He cried. We talked. Through the tragic circumstances of the death of my father my brother comes to faith in christ i said i said dan you need to go tell dad so he did came to faith went into the room i stood in the doorway and i watched him go over and grab my dad's hand he said dad i'm a christian I finally have come to the end of myself. I'm not going to live for myself anymore. I want to live for you. I want to live for the Lord. I want you to know that, Dad. And my dad, who was a mere shell of himself, couldn't speak, started crying. My brother's holding his hand. My dad just starts crying down the side of his face. You see, joy is not synonymous with being happy. None of us were happy that my father had passed. But we knew that God was in control. And God used that circumstance to help to bring my brother to faith in Christ. And so a thankful heart produces joy. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Third, a thankful heart produces appreciation. You know, appreciating others is a good litmus test for us to examine our hearts to see that we're being thankful. The apostle Paul really blazes the trail for the for us in this because in nine of his thirteen epistles, the apostle Paul stops and expresses appreciation to those whom he writes to. You know, a couple of, of examples of that: First Corinthians one four, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and you remember the church at Corinth was was not a good church. All kinds of problems. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Colossians 1.3, we always thank the Lord for you. Like humility, appreciation keeps the focus off of us and onto the Lord and others. Fourth, a thankful heart produces Generosity. You know the word Thanksgiving, and I love Thanksgiving, by the way. It's my favorite of all the holidays, I think, because it's the least commercialized. Uh, It's like just this pure holiday that's left. I mean, yeah, there's turkey, and I love that, and there's stuffing, and I love that, and all the other fixings. I love all that part of it. We had a Thanksgiving celebration uh, on Wednesday night, and then we had another one on Thursday, and I loved it. I loved it. I love being around the people of God. I love eating good food. I love all of that. But the word thanksgiving is a compound word, right? It's made up of two words, thanks and giving. Thanks and giving. The, The first should lead to the second. The more we have, the more we have to give, right? Second Corinthians 9.7 says that the Lord loves a cheerful giver. I don't know if you think of yourself as a giver, but we're both a giver and a receiver, right? We're on both ends of that spectrum at all times because some people may be generous with us. They may bring something to us and they may say, we want you to have this. And whenever anyone says that, I never just take it for granted. I never just say, oh, well, you know, that's what they should do never. I'm so grateful when someone would think of us in that way. I appreciate their generosity. And so there's the receiving end of it, and I think some of us need to be better receivers. It's better to give than receive, but it's not bad to receive, right? It's not bad to receive things. How do we receive things shows our appreciation for others. But our thanks to the Lord, should lead to our giving. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. Not someone who just gives because they feel like they have to. I grew up in an environment, a church environment, where tithing was jammed down the people's throats every, seemingly every week. You must give 10%. You must give 10%. You must give 10% of your money. And so, you know what? The people gave 10% of their money. They did. But were their hearts in it? I don't know. Because it seemed like a rule. You have to do this. You have to do this. You will never hear me say from the pulpit, and you'll never hear any of our elders or Pastor Flip say that you must give 10% of your money because it's not in the New Testament. It's good for fundraising, but it's not in the New Testament. We are to instead be cheerful givers. We should, if some people could, should, 10% would be a joke to some people because God has blessed them so much they could give far more than 10%. But our thankfulness should always produce Generosity. All of this goes together. Humble, joyful, appreciative people are generous people. Their thankfulness to the Lord is manifested by their sacrificial giving. And we saw this heart of our church when we all contributed to our Operation Christmas Child project. The gospel is going all over the world because of the generous hearts of our people. Number five, and finally, a thankful heart produces a continued dependency on God. And this is kind of where we started here, but it's an appropriate way to end. A thankful heart produces a continued dependency on God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, the Apostle Paul asks the question, what do we have that we have not received? What do we have that we have not received? And of course, the implied answer there is nothing, right? Everything we have has been given to us by God if we believe that God is sovereign and He's in control of all things, what we have, He is sovereignly given to us. That should produce a heart of gratefulness and thankfulness to the Lord because we don't deserve anything. Remember, we're just sinners who violated the holy law of God. But we've been saved by His grace through faith in Christ. And then God has lavished upon us all these things We need to recognize where what we have comes from. You remember the old song, He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. He owns it all. God owns it all. He distributes it to those whom He wants in the amounts in which He wants. And we should be glad with that because we don't deserve anything. What do we have that we have not been given. And who gave it to us? You see how all this kind of works together in the area of being thankful. First, thankful to the Lord for all that He's done. Second, to be thankful to others. So horizontally, vertically, we're to be thankful to God, right? Thankful to God, first and foremost... Because he he, he's allowed us to have wonderful relationships horizontally and then thankful for those relationships. If you have a large family, you probably have had some sort of discord in your family over the course of the history of your life. I mean, I think every family has had something that has been, you know, a little off kilter. But we're grateful for our families. We're grateful for those whom the Lord has put into our lives. A thankful heart produces a continued dependency on God. Philippians 4.19, one of my favorite verses, And my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. And I always, whenever I read that verse, I always think about the fact that it says, And my God will supply all your needs. Not necessarily all your wants, but he'll supply all of your needs. And then Jesus, when he preached the great sermon on the mount, was talking about the birds and about how God provides for them. Do you not think he's going to provide for you? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things that we worry so much about will be added to you. But what are we to do? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Have a thankful heart for what God has done for us. And so those who are thankful have a right relationship with God because they realize that the Christian life is not primarily about themselves. It's about the Lord and it's about others. You see, one of the great hallmarks of the Christian life is being thankful. It's really the the engine that drives the bus of our lives. But but let's think about Paul's admonition here in 1 Thessalonians 5.18 just a little bit differently, Okay. Yes, we are to be a thankful people, but not to be missed here. Paul says that we are to be thankful in everything, right? Thankful in everything. In everything, give thanks. Now, among other things, I think what Paul is warning about here is selective thankfulness. Selective thankfulness, which is that's that's us, right? That's, That's where we tend to go and you know how people can be. You know how we can be. I am so thankful for all the people who think like I think, right? Right? I'm so grateful for all the people who like what I like, who see things exactly the way I see them. I am so thankful for those people. Selective thankfulness, and isn't that just like us to be like that? And I think that's why he says it the way that he does. Because he says that we are to be thankful in everything. Well, what about these other things? Well, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Because God is allowing that in your life to produce endurance in your life so that you will be able to live for him even better. I think the older I get and the longer that I've been in ministry, the more I think about just the Christian life, life in general, it's really all about perspective. And where do we get our perspective from? If we don't get our perspective from God and his word, then we're going to be all messed up. If we listen too much to what the world has to say, we're going to start to think like that a little bit. Right? I mean, over and over and over and over and over again, the media is saying this and this and this and this. Well, same sex marriage isn't all that bad, I guess. I mean, after all, they're good citizens. They own a home, they have jobs. It's not all that bad, I guess. Indoctrination. That's what happens universities across the country indoctrinating students and saying, it's not that bad. This is right. We're to be inclusive. There is nothing exclusive in this world. Saying it over and over and over again every single day hearing the same thing. Well, you know what? To each his own, right? Hey, you know, who am I to say that this is right or this is wrong? You see how it works. We're to be thankful in everything. Thankful for the good things. Even thankful for the things that are challenging because it it helps to sharpen us. Paul says virtually the same thing in a slightly different way in Ephesians 5.20 when he says, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And I'm going to go to my grave. If you read my article in the Grace Life Gazette, you'll see a little bit more about my heart and why I got into the ministry and, and who I want to be in the ministry. Why I do what I do. How God worked in my life in my life. But I'm going to go to my dying grave standing firm on God's Word. That's what I'm going to do. And I don't care what the fallout is from that. Uh, It is what it is. We will stand firm on God's Word. In our church, in our own personal lives, this is what draws us together. We stand firm on the inspired Word Of God? How do we know what to do when the world tries to indoctrinate us with all these things? How do we know what to do when our kids go to school and they come home and they say, Mommy, what about this? The answers are all here. As Christians, we're to be thankful in everything. That includes those things in our past that we should learn from, those things in the present that we should grow from, and those things in the future that we should eagerly welcome. God is good. God is good. Being thankful for the past and the present and the future. It's a reminder that we should be thankful not only when we get what we want, but when we get what we don't want. We are to be thankful even when we go through painful experiences. And we ask the question why, but it's because unthankfulness is a mark of an unbeliever. Romans one twenty one says, for even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Speaking of unbelievers in the last days, Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.2, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. So how can we best express our thankfulness to God and others? Certainly with our words, it's okay for us to express Gratefulness and gratitude with one another. It's okay to do that. But perhaps more profoundly by our actions, by our own serving, by our own giving. This is what flows out of a grateful, thankful heart. A heart that is thankful for the indescribable gift of Jesus. As I said earlier, Acts 20.35 says, it's better to give than receive. If all of us were more concerned about giving than we are about receiving, can you imagine the difference that would would make in our lives and in the lives of others? So I want to close this morning with another quote from John MacArthur. He's written extensively on this, and I had uh, these couple quotes in my files, but they're good, and so I'm going to read them. Um, Here's what he said about all of this. A thankful heart is one of the primary identifying characteristics of a believer. It stands in stark contrast to pride, selfishness, and worry. And it helps fortify the believer's trust in the Lord and reliance of His provision even in the toughest times. No matter how choppy the seas become, a believer's heart is buoyed by constant praise and gratefulness to the Lord. And and if if we've gotten anything from our understanding of the Christian life and how we're to live it out, we always live it out from the inside to the outside. So what we do reflects what is in our hearts, right? We live from the inside out. And so oftentimes when there are concerns and issues and things like that, those things are just an outpouring of what's in our heart Give thanks in everything. I mean, we have so much to be grateful for. We really do. I mean, it's a nice climate-controlled room, right? I I mean, we could go down through the list. If you haven't done what I hoped that you have done or talked about this morning, about just getting alone with God, this would be a great week to do that. We just celebrated Thanksgiving. And so it would be great for you to get alone with God and to thank Him. Just thank... I mean, I know we do this throughout our life and we stop. We have praise uh, reports on our monthly prayer sheet and we praise the Lord for what He's doing, yes. But have you? when's the last time you just got away from your family, you got away from everybody, and you went and you got alone with God and you just talked to Him for a half an hour? When's the... I mean, just... You're not looking at any cheat sheets. You're just talking to God. You're bearing your heart. You're bearing your soul to God. You're just thanking Him for all that He's done for you. When's the last time you've done that? It is, I'm telling you, it is so enriching. You never feel more close to God than when you are thanking Him and praising Him for what He has done. And I'm talking about the whole thing. I'm talking about in salvation. I'm talking about in relationships. I'm talking about in the church. I'm talking about all of the provisions that God has made for us. So let me just encourage you to do that. It can be something you do on your own. You don't have to tell anybody about it. Just get alone with God. Let Him know how grateful you are for Him and for what He's given you and what He's done for you. I think He'll be pleased with that. So let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. And we thank You that You you give us sometimes just very simple truths. Very simple. Nothing complicated about it. That in everything we're to give thanks. Nothing ambiguous. Nothing uh, that we have to unravel or figure out. It's just clear, plain truth. You want us to be thankful in everything. And so we need that reminder. We need to be reminded that that's what pleases you. A heart of thankfulness for you, for what you've done, and for others, and all the things that you've provided for us. And may we be a church that is a thankful church. A church that is grateful for what you're doing in and among us your work in our lives, your work in our church and in our community. We're so grateful, Lord, for everything that you have given to us. But we are most thankful for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the sacrificial Lamb of God that you provided for us so that we would not have to die in our sins. And Lord, I would pray that if there's anyone here today that's not trusted in Jesus Christ, and in Him alone for salvation, that You would penetrate their hearts today. You would awaken them to Your truth. And that they would respond in faith. Jesus is God. He is the Son of God. He is the Lamb of God. Great is Your faithfulness, O God. In the name of Your Son, we pray this morning. Amen.